Hi guys, this is Erica Weston with Fox Sports Midwest, and you're listening to my favorite St. Louis Blues hockey podcast, Let's Go Blues Radio. Hi there, everyone. I'm Haley Wickenheiser, and this is Let's Go Blues Radio, past to the future. I need one win. What are you going to do to get me that? Selfish hockey. That's right. Selfish hockey. Break it down. Skate the puck. Don't pass it. Headman's still going to be there when you catch up, boy. Take it coast to coast. Shots from poor angles are still shots. Fucking a half, two minute shifts, three minutes even. Cruise the blue line to catch your breath. Bad balance, that's a good breakaway. Gotta get the bounces, boys. This is Let's Go Blues Radio. We are at Season 8, Episode 65, Franchise Episode All-Time, Number 251. I'm your host, Jeff Ponder. want to give a big thanks to Julio Cesar in Brazil. Uh, make sure you check out his YouTube channel, which uh, you can find on the show page over at letsgoblues.com slash radio, as well as the YouTube page for this episode. Uh, remember, again, that uh, we post... YouTube videos of our interviews with the past guests. So the first guest of each show, we have a, uh, a video to go along with it. This one was a Zoom meeting with the person we will be speaking with during this episode. But we will get to him in a minute. So I don't really don't do this for the special edition shows, but uh, I it's late on Thursday, uh, May 14th as I record this. And uh, I'm going to do a beer of the episode, because why not? I want to give a big call out to Center Ice Brewery in Midtown, uh, right next to Pappy's. Uh, they released their, well, playoff pale ale, but they are calling it the supposed-to-be playoff pale ale, as we do not have playoffs going on right now. But uh, yeah, it uh, comes in a growler, 64-ounce, great stuff. Uh, and, of course, everything they have, Puck of the Irish, one of my favorites. I think that's Kurt's favorite as well. Uh, you can pick that up over at their place at Midtown, again, near Pappy's. Pick up Thursday through Sunday and go to centericebrewery.com uh, to make your selections. And then you can pay there, and all you got to do is drive up, and somebody walks out and hands you your beer. It's kind of a nice little setup they got going. Can't wait for them to open back up, though. But, uh, yeah, of course, Center Ice Brewery, friends of the show. Uh, Steve Albers has been on before. We love you guys, and uh, we hope you're doing well. And I'm going to announce the giveaway winner one more time. Yes, we did our trivia show last week. We announced the giveaway winner uh, for the uh, thing we've been trying to give away, but for some reason, people are just not responding. Active Mom for Life on Twitter, Mezzo Blues Note, or Mezzo Blue Note is her name. Uh, active mom for life. You are a giveaway winner for the Biddington t-shirt. So you have one week to claim your prize or we will pick another winner. And I'm hoping somebody will eventually take this off our hands. Cause it's been, this is our what third person we've tried to give this away to. And, uh, you just aren't responding people. You know how to get in touch with us. LGB radio on Twitter, uh, radio at let's go blues.com for email. And then you can also just reach out to me, jponder94 on Twitter, jponder94 at gmail.com. 
Well, I think it's time to get to our guests. Carlo Koliakovo is our first guest, and he's followed by Marcus Boudelier of OHLnetwork.ca. He covers the OHL and other prospects, and uh, we talk about Keen Washkaruk of the Mississauga Steelheads of the OHL, who's a currently a Blues prospect. So we have a good long talk about him as well as uh, what they do over there at the OHLnetwork.ca. But first up, we have former St. Louis Blues defenseman and GIF icon, Carlo Koliakovo. Well, this is Jeff with Let's Go Blues Radio, and we are continuing the past to the future segment of the show. And, uh, of course, we are in the past version as we get started with Carlo Koliakovo, a name that uh, I think everybody in St. Louis probably remembers. It wasn't that long ago he was a St. Louis Blue and yeah. uh, one of the better names to ever come into the Blues organization. Carlo, thanks, thanks, for, thanks for joining the show today. Hey, thanks for having me, man. It's, uh, it's a great pleasure to be on here. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, first of all, I want to bring up something that um, a lot of people probably don't know about you. Uh, you have a twin brother, Paulo. Yeah. Man, yeah. that's interesting. <laughs> it's, it's awesome. Um, I don't know where I'd be in my life if I didn't have my twin brother. I have an older brother, too, and between the three of us, we are uh, as close as siblings can be. Uh, we are each other's best friends, but more importantly, my brother uh, because we are the same age and because we grew up playing hockey together, I was the defenseman. He was the goalie. Uh, we pushed each other in every sport that we played to be the most competitive as we possibly could. Yeah. Um, you know, right from elementary school to high school and the sports we played there, uh, we were always the best players on our team and we only thrived in winning championships. All we wanted to do in every sport that we win was win. And, you know, that, that, that engraved the competitive drive in us and right up and through, uh, minor hockey, you know, um, I get drafted to the OHL. He got drafted to the OHL the year after to the Belleville Bulls. I played right away in the OHL. He had to wait a year and he was a goalie. So you kind of understand the different path they have to take sometimes. But, uh, when he got his chance, uh, he, he excelled, he ended up, um, uh, winning goaltender of the year in Barry in his last season there. And we actually played each other in the OHL finals. Uh, I, I was with the Erie Otters. He was with the Barry Colts. Unfortunately, he was the backup for the Barry Colts, but he was still on the team. Um, but we're even right up and through that. When I got drafted to the NHL, he had to take somewhat of a different path, uh, you know, float around through the minor leagues, never got a sniff at the NHL, went to some NHL camps, but uh, ended up finishing a couple of years in Europe before deciding to pack it in. And uh, even through my career in the NHL, he was always a guy that you know watched all my games, uh, would critique a lot of my games, would critique a lot of my play, and uh, you need that. You need that as a as a guy who's you know looking out for you. And um, you know, even with his path in Europe, my last two years of professional hockey, I played in Europe, and a lot of it was the advice he gave me. He's like, "You got to go do it. It's great." And um, luckily for me, I did do it and something that I always wanted to do. Something I always said I wanted to do before I finally called it a career was, uh, experience life over there. And I'm so grateful that I did, uh, because, you know, not only did I enjoy the hockey, but you gain, you gain great life experiences. And, uh, I, I wish I could have shared a lot more of those experiences with my brother along the way. Um, but, um, you know, even though we weren't playing at the same level along the way, we were definitely with each other and by each other. And now we're, you know, we, we're, we're both married guys. We both have two kids and, um, you know, I've got my own career. He's got his own career and we're still every day 
you know, we, 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 we push each other to be the best. And, um, you know, thankful that I have somebody like that. Don't know where I'd be without it. What's the highest level he ever played? Uh, highest level would probably be, I think he played a couple of games in the American league. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, but, uh, other than that, a uh, couple games in Europe. Um, uh, but, uh, it's, uh, it's different now because back then, you know, you had goalies that could play forever. Yep. Right. And, you know, there's two, only two spots on each team where now you're seeing a cycle through, you know, more goalies every year where, you know, if you're not proven, you know, they find a way to move on, whether it's cheaper or whether it's younger. And maybe now through the times he could have gotten a better look, yeah. um, but it is what it is. Um, you know, I think we're both grateful that one, our parents put us through the path of playing hockey and two, um, you know, I was able to, to carve out a pretty, uh, memorable 14 years of playing in the NHL and 16 years of playing pro hockey. And, um, you know, the, I think he played, uh, four years OHL. And, uh, after that, maybe four, another four, another four or five years of, of, of semi-pro. Uh, but, uh, again, a lot to be thankful for. Yeah. So speaking of being thankful, you are a Toronto kid and, uh, you were drafted and now, now any player to be drafted by anybody, you know, people used to ask me when I was younger, what are you going to do if you get drafted by the Red Wings? And I'm yeah. like, I'm going to play for the Detroit Red Wings because I'm in the NHL. Uh, but you were drafted by the Toronto Maple Leafs, your hometown yeah. team. Very rare to see that happen. Uh, one, did you know that you were on the Maple Leafs radar when you were drafted by them 17th overall? And two, how did that feel for you? Uh, well, answer the second question first because it leads into the, the first question. Um, how did it feel for me? it changed my life um, because I was a young kid that just loved to play hockey and overnight uh, being selected by the Maple Leafs, I was uh, a massive celebrity in this city. Mm. Um, I understood, um, you know, the, the, the sort of super fan in, in, uh, in, in Maple Leaf fans, um, you know, coming home from Florida, the draft was in Florida um, and, uh, when I came home, it was like my, my parents answering machine was just overflowed with, with messages. Uh, I was on the front page of every newspaper. Um, I had people trying to contact me in numerous ways to get me on radio shows, to get me on TV shows. And I'm thinking to myself, holy cow, like my life just really changed. I'm literally uh, a popular person in Toronto and, and mostly because I'm a member of the Toronto Maple Leafs right now. So um, it was a, a very big adjustment that I ultimately had to get used to very quick. Everywhere I drove in public, uh, people would recognize me at the gas station, at dinners. And, you know, that's something that you never really understand until you go through it. But when you start to go through it, you, you start to realize that this is bigger than anything you've ever could expect. And it was something that I embraced. I mean, I was a Maple Leafs fan growing up, diehard. That's uh, what I watched. It's what I followed. Um, it's ultimately what I, you know, dreamed I could possibly be, but never thought it could be possible. And the reason for that is because even leading up to the draft, um, uh, I was very highly ranked, very, very high, highly scouted. And when you have your meetings and go through the process, you meet with certain teams and you kind of get a feeling of where you think you're going to end up. And nowhere, nowhere in my mind did I ever think the Maple Leafs were going to be even a possibility just because of where they, where they uh, fit in the draft. They're the number 17 pick. 
And I was ranked, I believe, 11th or 12th, maybe even 13th in the central scouting, uh, final central scouting rankings. And so when you, when you meet with the teams that are in that spot or either a little bit above them or a little bit below them, you don't think you're going to drop to the Maple Leafs. You don't even entertain that idea of it. And there was two teams that I originally thought I was going to go to. Um, the uh, Phoenix Coyotes, because I had four meetings with them. And I believe it was, uh, who was the ninth pick that year? I think it was the New York Rangers. I don't remember. Uh, but the Phoenix Coyotes, they were picking 13th. And I had four meetings with them. And sorry, the LA Kings were the other team. I met with them a lot, but they didn't pick till 18th. And um, so when the 11th pick came around, uh, I don't remember who they traded with. Um, I think it was Carolina. Carolina was 11, 11th pick. But Phoenix traded up to the 11th pick, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, I think this is where I'm going to go. They come up. They draft. I believe it was uh, Freddie Schustrom, uh, the kid out of Sweden. And so the unique thing about the draft is when you're on the draft floor, when you're, when you're a highly ranked guy, they give you an assigned seat so that the cameras can, can spot you. And when 11th pick came around, you could, you could, you start to follow where the camera was going on the floor and the camera actually pointed up into my section. So I had the anxiety that maybe it was my turn to go. Well, Schuster was sitting a couple of rows down for me. So I kind of got the idea, okay, next time the camera comes around, it's pointing at me. There's a good chance it's going to be me. So Phoenix selects 11th, 13th was, uh, I believe it was Carolina. I, I have to go back and look. 13th was Edmonton. Edmonton. Okay. Yep. So they drafted. Alex Hemsky. Hemsky. That's what I, that's what I remember. Yep. Um, so after that, you're starting to just, you know, flip, flip hairs and, and, and flip coins to see where things are going to go. So next time the camera comes around, it's the Maple Leafs pick at, actually, I thought it was going to go 15th to Carolina. That doesn't happen. So then the, the, the Maple Leafs come around at 17. And next thing you know, all I see is the camera come to my section, point up the camera. I mean, I got my twin brother sitting beside me. And my twin brother is just going nuts. He goes, oh, my God, it's going to be you, Car. He <laughs> the Leafs are going to pick you. And I'm, like, sweating. I'm like, shut up, man. Stop telling me I'm nervous, Rack. Don't do this to me. What if it's not me again? So all of a sudden, the Leafs get up there, and they announce my name. And I've got 30 family members in the crowd. And uh, the place goes nuts. And. I, I can't believe what I'm just about to go through. And I just got selected by my hometown Maple Leafs team. So I go up there, I put the jersey on, I walk down to the floor and, um, you know, I shake everybody in the Maple Leafs staff's hands and they're welcoming me to the team. And all of a sudden I see one of the scouts that I had a couple of meetings with, with the LA Kings who were supposed to pick next. He looks over at me and he shows me a jersey with my name on the back. Oh. <laughs> so I would have gone to LA if I didn't go to the Maple Leafs. So if you might go back to your question, no, I never thought the Maple Leafs were going to be an option, but I'm so thankful for it because playing for the Maple Leafs, being drafted for the Maple Leafs, not only did it give me a memory of a lifetime, but it also allowed me to pursue my post-career job because I will always have that Maple Leaf in my profile. And if there's one thing I can go back and change, I wish my tenure would have with the Maple Leafs would have been different. Um, you know, I went through a lot of injuries. I had to overcome a lot. And, uh, you know, you, you went, we went through some tough years there too. And there's one regret that I've always say to people, I wish 
my time in Toronto, I would have experienced what playoff hockey was like, because even when I come back after every season, I come back and I'm still a fan. I want this team to win. And now more than ever, I'm part of the media. I cover them on a daily basis. I'm a part of the alumni, you know, you still cheer for them to win. So there'll always be that connection for me and something that, you know, again, uh, I'm very grateful for because it's allowed me to pursue a career in, in my post career because I have, um, you know, that, uh, that label of being a, a Maple Leaf alumni. So I, again, you play in Toronto a couple of years. Um, you mentioned the injuries and I remember when the trade happened with St. Louis, when you came mm-hmm. with Alexander Steen in exchange for Lee Stepniak in uh, November of 2008, I remember everybody looking you up and saying, Oh, this guy is the word that was associated with you was injury prone. Mm-hmm. He's so injury prone. But then you looked at all the injuries and they were all, to me at least, freak things. I mean, yeah. you got you had the major concussion. Mm-hmm. You injured your hand when you're playing for the Toronto Marlies. Yep. You had to have arthroscopic uh, knee surgery in 2007. So yeah. it's not like there's one thing like, oh, he's got this hip problem. No. It, it was the all these strange freak things that happened. So would you consider yourself an injury-prone person? Definitely not. Definitely not. And that's a tough label that I've always had to try to remove from me and my name throughout my career. And it was extremely difficult. But um, people don't understand that, that the game of hockey is very, very tough. And I played the game very hard. I said sometimes early in my career, I played it reckless. And, you know, you learn a lot through – you know, some of the injuries that you get and some of the advice that you get and some of the people that you talk to that you got to change your game. I came in guns a blazing uh, in my first couple of years in the league. I was hitting everything in sight. I played fearless and fearless brought on uh, reckless. And a lot of the stuff that um, I ended up um, uh, having was, you know, stuff that lingered because of some of the bad advice I was getting, whether it was through trainers, medical staff, whatever it may be it's in the past. It's done. I'm over it. Uh, my knee injury was something that could have been fixed really quickly, but, uh, through some complications was something that I had to, um, you know, deal with for a very long time. It's something that I wasn't very happy about, uh, because it was something that prolonged throughout my career, but I got it fixed you know, through, through meeting new people, through talking to new people, through having to battle all this criticism coming at me. I found a way to get through it. And, most importantly, the turning point in my career to be able to move through that was when I got traded from the Maple Leafs because I just felt like no matter how hard I trained, no matter what I did, no matter how I tried to change the way that I played, people would not allow me here to remove myself from that label. And it was extremely difficult for me as a young player because, um, you know, you're out in public, you're, you're under the spotlight every game and every little thing, people are always referring back to something that I had absolutely no control about. I love playing the game of hockey and all I wanted to do was play it as hard as possible. And by doing that, it, it, you know, there were certain things that happened. So I felt like the year that I got traded, I kind of saw the writing was starting to be written on the wall. That it was going to be time for me to explore, um, you know, a career move. Uh, something that was going to allow me to prolong my career, but also allow me to be who I always thought I could be uh, in a different city. And um, I never wanted, I never wanted it to happen, but when it did, uh, there was a lot of emotion that went through me, Um, you know, having to leave my family, having to leave an organization that I want to be part of so bad, 
having to leave an organization that had so much faith in me, uh, you know, and drafting me 17th overall, putting so much, um, investing so much into me. And I felt like I had a lot more to offer, but it just felt like it wasn't going to happen there. And when I got traded to St. Louis with Alexander Steen, it was, it was, it was a new door that opened for me and an opportunity that, um, you know, I, I knew I wanted to make the most of, and it, I did. I felt like I did. I, I enjoyed the most success of my career playing in St. Louis because I went into an opportunity where I was just able to play the game of hockey. I didn't have to go home and answer all the questions and listen to all the stuff being said about me. Uh, I was able to go there, play hockey, enjoy life away from the rink, and then go back and play hockey again and love the game as much as I did. And um, lucky for me, I went to a team in St. Louis that was, that was, you know, on the ups and ups. I, I had a lot of great friends there. One of my best friends in hockey and in life is Brad Boyd. He was there allowing me to, um, help soothe myself with the transition of going to a new team into a new city, something I'd never done in my whole career. But the, 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 the transition was seamless because I went with Alex Steen, who already had, I read a relationship with. Um, not only was there Brad Boys, there was Keith Kachuk, there was Paul Correa, there was Andy McDonald, there was uh, a lot of you know, BJ Crombie and Jay McClement. These are all guys that I grew up playing with. So it was a very, very comfortable feeling for me. And what we were able to accomplish in that year when I got there from where we were to where we ended up finishing, um, you know, was something that, you know, laid the groundwork for me knowing that, you know, this was my opportunity. Now I needed to take advantage of it. Now I needed to see where it took me. And uh, I'm very grateful for every season that I had in St. Louis and, you know, wish again, you know, we had some really good teams there, wish we could have found a way to, to finish the job. Yeah. Well, you mentioned, uh, you know, your teammate Alexander Steen and, and David Perron was also with that team and those guys, TJ Oshie. Yeah. Yeah, Young boy. Yep. Patrick Berglund, also a young man at that time. Uh, but, uh, all those guys have, uh, well, Perron and, uh, um, and Steen with the Blues, but Oshie with the Capitals, you saw them win the Stanley Cup. Yeah. Uh, were you still in touch with them when that happened? And oh, what was absolutely. that like for you as a former teammate? Absolutely. Um, anytime you're not participating in the, in the tournament, you're always following friends or teammates on other teams just because it, when you develop these bonds with these guys and these friendships, you, you cheer for their success as well. And I've been lucky the last couple of years that I've been able to cheer for some really, really great people. I mean, TJ Oshie was uh, an awesome, an awesome friend, an awesome player, uh, you know, to, to play with, but even just to follow now. Um, and David Perron, uh, same thing. Patrick Berglund, you talk about those guys, you know, Berglund, unfortunately, um, you know, hopefully he's feeling a lot better and doing a lot better with some of the stuff that he's been dealing with. But, um, you know, to watch, you know, Oshi hoist the cup and to watch the St. Louis Blues, like that was an incredible thing for me to watch everybody that I still had a relationship there with. And one in particular, one of my best friends still in hockey is Alex Petrangelo. Um, Alex Petrangelo, you know, was a rookie um, in one of my years in St. Louis. And uh, I sort of welcome as him as a younger brother to me. And that's what we still are. We're still really close brothers. And to see him hoist the cup for the city of St. Louis that I always had visions of doing the same thing with um, just because I loved playing there. I love the fan base. I love how much they care about the team. I loved everybody in the organization. You know, Craig Berube was, was never my coach in St. Louis, but I had him in Philadelphia. And to this day, 
I've said to so many people that he's the best coach I've ever had, the best coach I've ever played for. And I can see why the players has so much success playing for him because he's just a guy you love playing for. Uh, he's honest. Um, you know, he's, he's open-minded. Um, he, he respects you. He, he respects you if you show the respect. And, uh, you know, he, he just enjoys being one of the guys. He, he, he has, he, he's a guy that separates, uh, you know, business and hockey and life. And, um, and so, you know, so thankful for everybody. Like Steve Ott, you know, he's a guy, another first year is uh, behind the bench, a guy that I had so many battles with playing against, but one of the best teammates I've ever played for. Uh, you know, the list goes on and on. Mike Van Ryan. Mike Van Ryan was my D partner in, in St. Louis, in, um, in Toronto when I played here. So the relationships go, you know, so far with that team and to see them win it. Um, I felt like I was part of the team. I wanted a ring. I wanted to go to the party. I wanted to do everything. <laughs> so I'm so happy for them. And, you know, hopefully they get a chance to come back this year and, and, and take another run at it because I think they, they're, they're definitely the favorites to do so. I'll tell you what, next time you're in St. Louis, give me a call and I'll let you wear this guy. Is it real or yeah. is it the is it the It's fake the replica, one? but Yeah, dude, I, I bought a replica too, man. <laughs> hey, there we go. I bought one too, man. It's funny. I had a little I had a little uh uh gig that uh that I sort of uh sabotaged a little or fabricated a little bit. And I said that I ordered it and I posted it on social media and I said, Yes, I got my alumni ring. Ah. <laughs> You should have seen how many alumni guys reached out to me and like, are you kidding me? How did you get that? What's going on here? Oh, I just, I just kept playing along. I was like, yeah, man, come on. I helped start the run, man. 2008 uh, when I got here. I brought out the steam here. Process, man. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Good. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I'm the one that drove Alexander Steen to the rink every day. Exactly. Come on, I mean, Alex, who was man? Both Alex. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, that's awesome. So again, you mentioned some of the players you've played with. Obviously, Keith Kachuk, Paul Korea, Mike Van Ryan, even. And then you look at your Detroit days. I mean, there was some loaded talent on that team uh who would you say you learned from most in your nhl career oh that's such a great question um i am so lucky that i have a list of so many great players that i was able to play with um i'll go i'll go through each team just because it's so hard to pick one guy um in toronto definitely matt sundin matt sundin right from day one uh was a guy that embraced me with open arms i mean you remember i I don't know if many people know this, but my first year in Toronto, I was a 19-year-old kid, and the next oldest guy on the team was 28 years old. Hmm. And nobody really had to be my friend, but Matt Sundin, um, you know, really took it upon himself to make sure I felt comfortable every day and uh, made me feel like one of his closest friends. And that's something that I'm very, very grateful for. Uh, taught me a lot about, you know, how to handle myself in the city and uh, different things that, you know, I, I, could, I, I could make myself better with, you know, both on and off the ice. Let's fast forward to St. Louis. Um, Brad Boys, obviously, he's one of my best friends, and he's such a laid-back kind of guy. And sort of, I guess that's why we're we're really close friends, is because we share the same personality. But definitely Keith Kachuk, uh, Big Walt, um, you know, because you really appreciate guys that have been through so much and that have played for so long, um, and just the perspective that he shared on playing the game, on life, and family, family. Like this guy loved his family and. You know, to see Matthew and both Brady have, you know, the success that they're having in the NHL. I remember these guys as kids. I would be playing road hockey in their backyard when they'd have house parties and stuff like that. Um, and how much, you know, 
uh, time uh, Big Walt invested into that and just how much he was a guy that was just so respected into the room. Um, you know, guys that really value, you know, Barrett Jackman was another guy, uh, Paul Correa. Um, but I, I'm going to be honest with you. One of the guys that probably had the most impact on me just because I felt like my game uh, really settled down playing in Detroit. Uh, there was such a, a feeling of always having to prove myself every year um, in Toronto and in St. Louis. But I, when, I, when, I, when I decided to sign in Detroit, there was a feeling in that locker room of just knowing how to do the right thing every day. And that was because of the leadership of Henrik Zetterberg. Henrik Zetterberg was hands down one of the most genuine, one of the most first class teammates I've ever played with just because, um, you know, of his work ethic. Um, he shows that both on and off the ice, the way he leads, the way he talks to his teammates, the way he, you know, uh, embraces camaraderie around the guys when both – uh, at the rink and away from the rink, always having initiating team gatherings, whether it's through dinners, whether it's through functions and stuff like that, but just the way he led on the ice and just the way his approach with the way he would communicate with guys, it would always be through the power of positivity. He never had anything bad to say. It was almost like, you know, what I try to do in today's game or in today's world when I work with young kids is um, being finding the positive way to share a message instead of constructive criticism all the time. It's, it's, and it's something that I learned from him. I mean, there was never a bad thing he said, even though things could have been, uh, you know, probably the worst that you've ever felt. You would always find the positive approach uh, to every situation. And um, those are three guys right there. I, I listed a bunch, but uh, definitely you see why they're, they're considered leaders and why they, they were guys that are so respected in the game. So Alex Petrangelo, you mentioned his name, somebody you played with uh, when he was a younger man. Did you see him becoming the type of leader he's become and uh, really, honestly, the elite defenseman that he's become? Could you tell at a young age that he was that kind of guy? Well, I always knew he had the potential to be an elite defenseman because right from day one, he showed the skill set. But right from day one, uh, there was a maturity level that Alex needed to learn to be a leader. And I think. Um, you know, he was, he still is, he's, he's a genetic freak. This guy is, you can't keep him off the ice. You can't keep him out of the gym. He is uh, genetically trained to, um, to keep himself, um, you know, in a certain type of mindset when it comes to, you know, diet, when it comes to nutrition, when it comes to fitness, when it comes to hockey and even just playing the game. Um, which is something that you always knew was going to carry on and benefit him down the road. But I think for Alex, um, I never anticipated he would be the type of leader that he was until he went through the process. I remember second or third year in St. Louis, they were talking about giving him the C. And I was so against that. I was trying to recommend to people, say, listen, you may think he's ready for this, but don't put that pressure on him. He doesn't need that. Make him a leader because I think that's something you want him to develop into, but let him learn along the way. And I think one guy that he really learned a lot from was David Backus and the way he embraced being a captain of the team. And I think that's where people get lost, you know, when, 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 or at least 
get this distracted or, or, or lose their focus a little bit when they try to find out who a captain is. Your captain isn't always your best player. Your captain is a guy that learns how to be that best player that leads by example. And I think the approach that the Blues took with Alex um, is the best example of it because he was able to be part of the conversation, but he wasn't, he didn't have to be the voice. He didn't have to be the guy that would have to answer all the tough questions. You groom him into that. And we've had that conversation here in Toronto over the last couple of years with the Maple Leafs because, you know, they've, 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 they've developed a young core. And you don't want to put that pressure on a guy where not only as a young player, he's expected to be the best player and perform on a nightly basis. Well, now you've got to answer the tough questions. No, have the guys that are capable of doing that, that are, that are capable of wearing the shield, you know, learning how to handle their emotions, learning how to handle the tough questions. Because, you know, as a young kid, you're already dealing with a lot. You don't need to be dealing with any more that you're probably not comfortable doing. And so with Alex, I think, um, He's the right leader right now because of that. He, it was the it was this it was the the process that he was able to grow up into, and you can see it's reaping benefits in who he is as a player and who he is as a leader on this team. I've got to ask you about one very specific moment in your time in St. Louis. Um, it was in Joe Louis Arena. We talked mm. about this before the show. Um, it was a, it's a very famous gift that still makes its way around. Uh, you sliding into the boards and kind of face planning <laughs> right where the camera is. Um, I have to ask you, like, what was the thought when you first, I mean, first of all, how did you find out about this? Yeah. And two, um, I mean, what was it like kind of being the star of a kind of a negative sided <laughs> gif? <laughs> well, I guess it's funny because it's something that people always remember me in a stupid way. Uh, but, uh, it was hilarious. Um, it's, I, I go back to that day and, you know, what people don't understand is that the old Joe Lewis arena, the boards were brick walls, yeah. like hard as, as a wall. And so what happened in that moment was I was trying to make a play sliding on the puck and I knew I was coming into the boards and I'm thinking to myself, I'm either going to smash headfirst into this thing and break my neck or I'm going to try to brace myself knowing that this is going to hurt. So what I did was I lifted myself up and I braced the impact with the top of my knees. And that's why I made the expression that I did. And then after the game, it's funny. Uh, I'm walking around and I see a group of guys just, you know, get, getting together and having laughs. And every time I would walk around them, guys would be hiding their phones. Like they were embarrassed about something. And I'm thinking to myself, what's going on here until finally Eric Johnson says, Hey man, I don't know if you've seen this, but it's pretty hilarious. He shows me and I'm like, I get this all look in my face. I'm like, Oh my God, what the hell was the camera doing in that spot in that moment? And you just, you shake your head. And then next thing you know, I'm on the bus and my phone's blown up with all my buddies saying, man, are you okay? What happened here? This and that. And I'm like, yeah, it's just one of those things you get caught in the moment. And, and you know, it, those, those are things that, that make people laugh. And for me, unfortunately, it's something that I'll never be able to remove myself with, but it's something that I'll always have fun with because there's nothing I'm embarrassed about. I mean, it's just one of those embarrassing moments that end up turning out to be one of the funniest gifts ever created. Yeah. I don't know what else to say about that. <laughs> You'll live forever, Carlo. That's live the way forever, I see it. Man. But it's good. It's all good. It's all good. Uh, I remember that uh, the, the call for uh, the Blues broadcast. Darren Pang 
was trying to break down the play and then he that happened your face comes on the screen and yeah. i remember he just kind of pauses and doesn't say anything <laughs> and then he's like and uh carlo koliakovo has a little problem there in the boards uh, and i'm thinking they probably had to like turn their microphones off because they probably started laughing oh probably i mean <laughs> I you mean, think about being in the right place at the right time like that camera guy <laughs> like couldn't be any more perfect you got a raise uh, after that <laughs> yeah he should have <laughs> he should have but yep. uh yeah, I mean, listen, what are you going to do? It's People still send me those gifts on Twitter and social media and stuff when they try to say, oh, when you, this is what you feel like on a Monday. How was your Friday? How was your weekend? And it's like you just sit there and you laugh. It's like right. there's nothing you can say to me, nothing you can send to me that's going to make me feel embarrassed. So, right. <laughs> uh, so again, you, you uh, play in St. Louis a couple of years. You go move on to Detroit. But then uh, you were bought out by the Wings in mm-hmm. July of 2013. And then in November – uh, Blues defenseman Jordan Leopold uh, hurt his hand, I believe, got hand surgery, and the Blues decided to bring you back, sign you back for another one-year deal. Um, was there another team, any teams at all, that were pursuing you at the time? Yeah. And uh, was it an easy decision to come back to St. Louis? So it's funny. That was a unique time for me because um, during that wait, um, I had a, a verbally agreed deal to go play in the KHL, and which is why I was still at home skating. But I don't know how things work over there um, through paperwork or through I, I, the, the explanation I was given was uh, the player that I was going in to replace was hurt and the team couldn't officially cut ties with him. So the, the, the contract was continually to be delayed and I was skating at home uh, with the local OHL team here, the Mississauga Steelheads uh, while I was waiting for that to go through. And uh, I got to a point where I was like, okay, I can't wait any longer. I've got to get back to playing. And so my agent got really proactive with NHL teams again. And so during that week, um, one of the teams that was interested in signing me was the Florida Panthers. And we were in talks with them. We were actually very close to finalizing a deal. And the day that we were close to finalizing a deal, Doug Armstrong calls and says, hey, this is what just happened with Jordan. What's the deal with Carlo? Um, Is he available to play? What's his conditioning? We'd like to have him back if everything works well. So immediately my brain starts spinning because I'm thinking to myself, wow, a place that I never really wanted to leave in St. Louis is offering me the chance to come back. And so um, we had some uh, tough, tough conversations that night. Uh, Florida offered me the opportunity to go and play and play a lot right away, but they weren't a really good team. And St. Louis provided me an opportunity to come back that both me and my wife were uh, really excited about because we both really loved it there. And we saw the opportunity to, again, uh, take another crack at a championship with a team that, you know, I felt like there was some unfinished business with. But, you know, I knew going in there that I would have to accept a different role because they had their set guys, you know, Leopold, unfortunate injury, um, you know, maybe be a guy that would be uh, a depth guy, which is something that, you know, a lot of guys don't entertain and are not really excited about. But I tried to push all that aside when making the decision because um, <clears throat> I wanted the opportunity to play on a good team, knowing that if I played on a good team, it would increase my chances to play a lot more and play in the best time of the year. So. Uh, we made that decision to come back and, uh, it was a decision that, um, 
you know, we didn't uh, really take much time to think about. I mean, it's yes, Florida was something great to get me back in the NHL, but going back to St. Louis and a place that was familiar, uh, my wife was pregnant at the time. So it was a place that, you know, maybe we thought about raising a family as well, if everything went well. Uh, and we decided to do it. We took a crack at it and we went back and, uh, you know, unfortunately the year ended prematurely for us in the first round of the playoffs against the Blackhawks where the Blackhawks ultimately went on and to win the Stanley cup. You kind of wonder what if, what if, what if, and then, you know, we make the decision to move on again next summer, um, which was unfortunate because I really wanted to stay there again, but it's the business of hockey. You, you live and you learn and you move on and, um, Maybe, maybe there's another opportunity for me to be back there in some other capacity uh, one of these days. But uh, St. Louis holds a special place in our hearts. Um, so many great memories there. Our, our daughter was born in Missouri uh, after, the, after that season. So um, a place that me and my wife always envisioned that, you know, maybe we'd live there one day. But uh, we're still young. And uh, right now we're, we're happy and comfortable where we are. But uh, we'll see where life takes us afterwards. But we still have a lot of friends and a lot of connections in St. Louis and uh, somebody, something that will always stay with us. Well, uh, reminding our listeners, this is being recorded during the quarantine, which I imagine is when you're hearing it as well. I want to ask you, Carlo, everything okay in your house? I'm hearing yeah. you shouting. <laughs> my, uh, my wife and my son just came home and I'm trying to make the signals of, hey, be quiet. With money here. <laughs> Perfectly but, fine. Uh, trust me. Yeah. No, it's all good. Everything, everything's great at home. Everything's okay. great. Just yeah. wanted to make sure before we uh, continued. So I wanted to ask you uh, one more thing um, about uh, your playing days. So you move on to Buffalo, you move on to Philadelphia, and mm-hmm. as you mentioned, your uh, career ends there uh, in Germany playing with, um, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to butcher this, Adler Mannheim? Adler Mannheim, yes. Yep. Okay. Germany, um, yeah. So where was where's your favorite? I mean, obviously Toronto's got a rink up there, but uh, in terms of not even team, just teams you've played for, but cities mm-hmm. you've played in, uh, where's your favorite place to play hockey? Uh, St. Louis would definitely lead the category there. They were in my number one place, favorite place to play, just because if you're combining success and living experience, nothing beats it. Uh, Toronto would be second just because of the sentimental factor of how much it meant to be uh, you know, a boyhood kid that loved the Maple Leafs and playing for the Maple Leafs at home. Like I mentioned earlier, I wish things would have been a lot different. Uh, Detroit would be up there next just because um, Joe Louis Arena was one of my favorite rinks to play in. And, you know, the tradition and, and everything, the culture that the Red Wings represent. Um, again, that's another situation that I wish would have ended differently. But through the business of hockey, um, you know, things, different decisions were made. Um, Philadelphia, I uh, love my time there in Philly. What a hockey market, what an arena to play in. What a rivalry that I got to experience there between the Penguins and the and the Flyers, man! You, I, I, people are right, man. You talk about like blood rivalry, uh, hatred. I've never seen anything like it. Uh, these guys absolutely hate each other, and every game it was like, all right, who's fighting who? What are we doing? Like it was crazy. It was awesome, and then that's that's something that I really appreciated. Uh, Buffalo was awesome in the sense that it was just so close to home instead of being in Toronto. Uh, my wife's family's from um, the St. Catharines area, uh, which was very, very close. We got to see them a lot on weekends, especially with, with a young daughter. It was nice to be that close to home. Um, you know, again, in Buffalo, they've got great fans, but 
you know, they've haven't had much success over the last couple of years. And, um, to be honest with you, uh, my European experience was incredible. Um, and I'm so glad I did it because I always said that, um, before I retire, I want to experience, you know, playing over in Europe because I got that taste one year during the lockout when I went to play for the Spangler cup, I was like, man, this is awesome. This, I want to, I want to play in this. And, uh, my last couple of years in the NHL were tough because after that, after my return to the St. Louis blues, you know, you get that label on you as being a depth guy and you know, you're not playing much. You've got to be, you know, a cheerleader, uh, a good locker room guy, which is something I embraced. I loved it. I was still part of the NHL. You still, uh, got to be part of that team environment. Uh, but you, you believe you're something better than that and just hoping to get an opportunity to do so. And I found that opportunity was given to me going to play in Europe. I played in an incredible organization with Adler Mannheim in Germany, one of the best uh, teams and organizations to play for in Europe. Uh, we had an NHL arena, um, and it run like an NHL team with 13,000 packed every night with the soccer style atmosphere. Uh, really, really incredible. And you get to travel Europe too. Like it's, it's different. You don't play as many games. Uh, you get to enjoy life a little bit more. Um, and you really get to appreciate, uh, you know, things you probably couldn't do while you're here, you know, travel the world, see different places, uh, and make, and make new friends, um, which is what, uh, you know, you're, you're doing throughout this whole journey. So, um, I think that's why, where I would rank everything. And ultimately, um, it's, it's led me to where I am today, where, I'm a retired um, uh, NHL uh, alumni and uh, played 16 years pro. And uh, I can say my body's paying for it now. Yeah. Right. yeah. Hey, again, I've, I've played hockey my whole life, never professionally, yeah. and I'm still paying for it too. So yeah. I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm extremely blessed. I've got a really good gig right now. Um, you know, the fear once you get older is you start to see the door closing. And, you know, I always said, even when I was in Europe, I want to play as long as I can. And as long as the fun is still, uh, and the passion is still driving, but, uh, sometimes, you know, in life, uh, there's many things that, um, are presented to you that you just got to make uh, the best decision possible. And there was, a, a, an incredible opportunity offered to me right away that allowed me to start a post career right away without thinking. And I'm having so much fun doing it. And I'm so thankful that, uh, that uh, I was able to uh, find something like that. Yeah, so I, I want to go ahead and give you a mention on that as well because we've uh, we've had a couple other TSN 1050 guys on this show. And mm-hmm. uh, just a reminder to St. Louis people and really anyone anywhere, uh, you can stream this online. So make sure you check out Carlo on uh, <clears throat> excuse me TSN 1050 in Toronto. It's a show first up with Landsberg and Koliakovo. Yeah. You guys are in the mornings. Uh, if you want to give your time slot and – let people yeah. know how they can find you. Yeah, so we are a sports talk radio show uh, Monday to Friday from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. on, on TSN 1050. Um, you can stream us online. We have, you can stream us on the TSN app. You can download our podcast. You can listen to us there, Landsberg, first up with Landsberg and Koliakovo. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Carlo Koliakovo, on Instagram at Carlo.Koliakovo. And, um, you know, I just I try to share as much informative content as much creative content as much funny content as i can and you know i guess you, you can you can learn a lot about me with some of my social accounts as uh, to who i am and, and a little bit of my personality but um you know it's it's crazy you enter a new phase in your life where you do sports talk radio and 
you know, you come, I, I'm, you know, you come into a city like Toronto that, you know, last year wins an NBA championship, which was an absolutely incredible ride to be on. Um, I was in St. Louis when the Cardinals won a World Series. Actually, my wife went to the game six game or game seven game where they clinched it against the Rangers. Texas Rangers. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So, um, you know, you, you consider yourself fortunate enough to be part of events like that, that, you know, basically create history. And uh, for me, listen, I, I just try to have as much fun as I can every day. Um, love doing what I'm doing. And uh, let's just hope with the world that we're living in right now, with the uncertainty through the pandemic that we're living through that, you know, sports finds a way, life finds a way to come back. And then sports shortly after finds a way to come back because, you know, that's what, uh, that's what the, the joys in life that uh, we get to uh, at least explore. Yeah, it's definitely uh, made life interesting for us. You and I were talking before. It. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, I love being with my kid more. I love being with my yeah, wife too. and things are great. But at the same time, you know, you're like, okay, I want to be able to attend a sporting event. I want to be able to mm. go see a movie. And yeah, so eventually we'll get back to that time, yeah. but uh, but not quite yet. So, Carlo, one more question for you. Sure. And this is all... All we do here is ask hard-hitting questions on Let's Go Blues Radio. So I'm going to end one with a big one here. The movie of your life, the movie of Carlo Koliakovo, who plays Carlo Koliakovo? Ooh, are we doing celebrity or are we doing athlete? Go ahead, which, whatever way you want. Um, well, celebrity, uh, people say that I look a lot like uh, what's the guy from Ray Donovan's name? Liev Shriver. That was what Lee, I was going Liev to Shriver, respond with. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I kind of got the haircut too now. The, oh, the, there you the, go. The, the buzzed hair. I'm trying to grow the beard a little bit. So I would have to say Liv Shriver for me, um, celebrity wise. And then athlete wise, a lot of people say that I have a little bit of Patrick Eliash in me. Oh, I see that. Um, so maybe Patrick Eliash, I don't know. But if, if it's not Patrick Eliash, I'll give you a, a certain St. Louis fan favorite because we have him on our show every Tuesday, Cam Jansen. Oh, you got to go with the Cam Cam, of course. <laughs> Friend of the show. Absolutely. It's man. funny, every, every former player I interview, his name always seems to come up. It's, oh, it's interesting. <laughs> and you know what? What he's doing is perfect for him because not only was he – like the, the one of the best teammates, he was the life of every locker room. Oh, and yeah. what radio has allows you to do is, is, you know, basically show your personality or at least uh, share your personality on air. And he's the best guy at that with the way he talks uh, with the emotion that he shares when he talks, he's, he's been great, man. And I'm so happy that uh, he's, he's found something that he's happy with and something that he's, I, I think he's pretty good at. Oh yeah, we we love him here in St. Louis. He's yeah. uh, one of St. Louis's favorites, and we like to <laughs> give him trouble on this show because, for example, yeah. we just had Brandon Bullig on, and uh, we we like to to remind Cam and even guys like Pat Maroon. Hey, Brandon Bullig is the first St. Louis resident to ever gonna, win the Stanley, Stanley Cup. Cup. Remember yeah. that, Cam. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny when so Cam is one of those guys. When I posted the picture of the ring, he called me and he goes. Where did you get that? How did you get that? <laughs> that is so awesome. <laughs> Are oh, you man. serious? I feel How like did you get that? 
I feel like we could we could have you back on. You could just have you read the text you got after you posted that. <laughs> so what I did, I, I surprised him. I actually ordered one online for him, and I had it delivered to his house. Oh, nice. And uh, I didn't tell him. And I said, uh, hey, I, I, I had something coming for you. And when you get it, just make sure you play along. So when he got it, he was like, oh, my God, this is awesome. I'm going to go through the alumni room and just be like, yeah, where's yours? Where's yours? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's Cam for sure. <laughs> oh, he's a beauty, man. He's a beauty. Carlo, this has uh, been an enlightening and, and very fun interview to have on the show. And I know our fans are going to love uh, hearing your take on everything because you are a, you're definitely a guy that a lot of people loved here in St. Louis. So oh, thanks man. Yeah, Appreciate of course. It. And, uh, the love, the love is shared right back at everyone. Yep. And, uh, you'll have to come on uh Jansen show. So, so you can hear more stories from Carlo. Cause I know he, Listen, uh, you got, you got my contact now. Feel free to, to have me on anytime. I would love to do it. All right. We'll have you on every Tuesday. Okay, man. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> All right, Carlo. Thank you very much. I appreciate All it. All right. Take care, Jeff. Yep. Hey listeners, this is Brandon Bullock. I know, I know, I'm a former Chicago Blackhawk, but I grew up in St. Charles, and I'm a St. Louis in at heart. My wife and I recently co-founded Dana Eve, a health and fitness company that offers convenient workouts for anyone, anytime, anywhere. My wife is also a former athlete. She played Division I college soccer and is now a certified personal trainer. Upon founding this business, we adopted the motto, you can change your life in less than 30 minutes a day. After years of constant wear and tear from her sport, Dana developed her own method of training, the DE method, which was designed to go where you go. Using your own body weight along with our Anywhere Gym, Dana will help you achieve lasting fitness in mind, body, and spirit, whether on the move or in the comfort of your own home. Visit www.danaeve.com to start your free trial. That's D-A-N-N-A-H-E-V-E.com. This is Jeff of Let's Go Blues Radio, and we're continuing our future segment for Past to the Future. And uh, I am joined by Marcus Boudelier of the OHLnetwork.com. We're going to talk about Keen Washkaruk today. Uh, so first of all, Marcus, thank you very much for uh, joining me today. Yeah, no problem. Uh, it's always nice to talk hockey and certainly cross borders is uh you know, everybody's in the same situation right now, just with personalized. But obviously, uh, you know, with hockey as it as as it down right now, it's great to talk. Yeah, yeah. I, I, this, that's why I do this. People are like, "Man, what are you talking about on your show that you're still doing one every week?" And I'm like, "I just got to talk hockey somehow. Yeah, it's yeah. driving me crazy." <laughs> um. So uh, I, again, yeah, that's right. That's what I'm saying. Hey, it's like we were talking about before. It's uh playoff time right now it's crazy to not have hockey on uh every single night um but uh all right so uh marcus i want to talk to you about keen Washkaruk. he is with the mississauga steelheads of the ohl and you've obviously seen him play a lot he's a recent draft pick of the blues 2019 fifth round or uh, fifth round choice 155th overall um so first of all he's a young guy he's also an undersized guy at 510 185 pounds but he's a feisty guy um, what, uh, what's the most exciting part of his game? Well, I think, uh, like any player with his size in order to play, uh, at this level of hockey, you certainly got to have some, uh, some, uh, sandpaper and grit to him. Um, you know, playing junior hockey at that size, there's a lot of players that just because of their own uh, desires and, and whatnot to move ahead in hockey, will will test and, and see what, see what other guys have. And, Certainly, Washcock is not shy from that, and so uh, I think one of the things that that you see with a guy, uh, you know, not not just because of his size, but just because of his attitude, is the fact that 
he's just a 100% effort every shift. And uh, although maybe his, his um, you know, abrasiveness might get him in trouble at times in, ter- in terms of a bad penalty here or there, a lot of times uh, you'll hear coaches talk. Those are penalties that like to kill because of all the other attributes that a guy like Washcraft will bring. So uh, his penalties. Now, obviously, he had 62 penalty minutes uh, last season uh, in 49 games played. Um, that's that's kind of something that's going to stand out to a scout and say, okay, he's taking a lot of penalties. But it sounds like he's a responsible player, and uh, a lot of those are kind of necessary penalties. They're not uh, – offensive zone penalty type things are they no yeah that's a good point um you know when i mentioned before sometimes his exuberance gets the best of him and and i a lot of his penalty minutes if you look they they generally come in bunches and even sometimes just in a game where he'll get an instigator and in a fighting major and a 10 minute misconduct i mean there's 17 minutes right there uh mm-hmm. yeah i think you got two instigators here this season and now um, so it, it's a little deceiving. I mean, I don't expect you I don't expect this guy to be getting, you know, 150 minutes of penalties in the National Hockey League, for instance. Uh, his, his size is not somebody that's going out there, to, you know, to, to certainly get penalty minutes, getting majors. Now, to your point, I think he is a smart hockey player, and that doesn't mean he's not going to take a trip or a hook now and then. But I think a lot of his penalty minutes just come, uh, dare I say, after the whistle in a 4 nothing game. Mm, okay, that makes sense. Um, you know, so like, to your point, he's smart about it. You know, he doesn't. He's not going to take the instigating penalty down three two with a minute left type thing. Well, we've uh, we we were talking before the we started recording here about his dad, and so he might know the rules a little better because his dad is uh, is a referee, correct? Yeah, his dad was a former OHL referee, and uh, and I believe he did some pro after that. Uh, he also played in the Ontario Hockey League as well uh, back in '89 to '91, I believe, with the Kingston uh, Frontenacs as well back then. And just like his son, Keen, um, Joel, his dad, was, was the same type of player. Uh, not a very big player at all. Uh, very hardworking. Um, always willing to drop the gloves. I think, uh, I think at times Joel uh, probably couldn't handle some of the fights he was taking on, but he was always there to, to bail out a teammate. And that's just sort of come across to his son. And his son plays the same way. Then I'm sure over the years, just with his dad being an official, that it sort of helped him, I guess, learn how to play on the edge without going too far over. That being said, um, he, he just—he's an emotional player. He wears emotion on his sleeves, and and uh, you know when he's out there playing hockey, he's not a referee, and and uh, I don't think he actively thinks about that. Um, I think he just—he's sort of more concerned about whether or not the refs will call it, whether or not his dad was an official or not, and doesn't concern himself with who his father was in that regard. Um, so in terms of the depth chart in Mississauga, he is a center listed, at least listed as a center. Um, where does he, where is he at on the depth chart for Mississauga? Yeah, well, they had uh, Cole Schwent there. He's uh, he was their leading scorer this year, 71 points. And like, I think you pointed out what, uh, Washcrack had 52. Uh, Schwent was probably, I would say he's there. He's there when teams are coming to play Mississauga, he's the player that teams are trying to gear for and, and tone him down along with uh, left winger James Hardy. Um, I would say Washcrux, he certainly nailed down that second line center position. He does get power play time. Uh, I've seen him in shootouts as well. So uh, his offensive uh, skills are not what's preventing him certainly being a, a number one center on Mississauga. It's just sometimes on teams and the way the depth works, that's that's where he is. Uh, Cole Schwint is, uh, is a hell of an offensive player, but, you know, he doesn't have the two-way game and maybe the abrasiveness that a player like Washcrux has. So, so he, you know, he finds himself maybe more not on, on top line minutes, but that doesn't mean he's, he could be playing in the top six in the National Hockey League team, certainly with his effort and uh, penalty killing. But as I said, 
Um, they do rely a little bit of his offense. I mean, he was, I believe, what I got, uh, he was third in the team in goals with 22. So, so they do rely on him, and and he, you know, he's taking steps every year. I think he pointed out his stats, but if you look over the last two years, they've increased every year. Certainly a big increase from his rookie year. And this year he only played 49 games. So if you look at his point per game average, even though his points this year didn't look, you know, maybe that much better than last year, but if you look at the points per game average, he did actually have a better, way better season than it looks just because of the 49 games played versus the 68 that he would have played. And that had something to do also with his abrasiveness, by the way. He got in a fight in uh, Kingston he was about the, sometime in December there, and he was out a few weeks. So some mm. of those games were lost there and also with the season ending early. So, if it, you know, again, I would look more at the points per game this year than just the overall total. Uh, so when he was drafted, one of the things that was mentioned about him was he's known for kind of having some soft hands around the net. Um, is that something you've noticed in his game? Yeah, I mean, that's why I think they've got him playing on the power play. I've noticed uh, actually – you know, this is uh, probably uh, people in St. Louis Blues be familiar with this, but the T.J. Oshie spot in Washington, I'm not sure back when St. Louis, whether Oshie was playing that sh- that uh, sort of position in the high slot, but uh, you'll see Washcrack hanging out there on the power play, and he's pretty good with the one-timers. And so, you know, he does have quick hands, and uh, for a guy who, who maybe is known more for his abrasiveness, in and around the net, he's, he's got a very astute ability to, to uh, pass the puck off, and he's not a selfish player. Uh, so when he was drafted again, uh, something that was kind of uttered by Blues management was he's probably going to be a long-term project. Um, but I, and obviously this is uh, he's an 18-year-old. This is a very young age for him, and, and he's got at least probably another year uh, down in the uh, OHL. But just kind of looking at his skill set and and where he is now, uh, where do you think he slates on an NHL roster? Well, I mean, I think he's certainly going to be one of the players that's going to have to earn his time. Um, the draft is where it starts for a player like Kane Washtrock and not not where it ends. And so I do expect him to spend time in the AHL for a couple of years. Uh, this is not a player I don't expect. Uh, I wouldn't suspect to make the team in the next couple of years, certainly not. And one of the things that, that will happen over the next couple of years, and we keep talking about it, um, I'm not sure how much he'll grow as far as height-wise, but he'll certainly fill out a little bit more and he'll get a little more man strength on him. And a couple of years down the road, I see this player as, uh, as, again, like I alluded to before, more likely a bottom six player, but it's going to be able to play up and down your lineup if need be. And uh, that's because of those hands that he could potentially play up a spot for a game here or there if the injury needed. But at the same time, with a player with his uh, abrasiveness and, and desire um, to play physical, you know, any team's going to need guys like that. You know, any team's going to need somebody who's going to go in the corner and go to the front of the net, go to the dirty areas and, and uh, you know, back up his teammates. And, you know, at this point in his career, that's uh, Keem Ostruck in, in a nutshell. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's a that's a Craig Berube type player, it sounds like. Yeah, so, yeah uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah, that might be why he was drafted. Um, uh, yeah, sorry, we had a, a, a poll here done with the OHL Network, and a lot of media gave their uh, obviously gave their answers here, and we gave the top three for a lot of them. And hardest working player, uh, Kim Washkrock actually came in second. He was behind Damian Grew, who's also a Minnesota uh, NHL draft pick, Minnesota. Ironically enough, did you say yeah? It was Washkrock was one fifty fifth, right, in the fifth round. Mm-hmm. Well, Drew was Drew was drafted by Minnesota Wild last year in round five, number one fifty five. So he wow. was picked as yeah. He was picked as the hardest working player in the OHL by our media poll this year, and Moskra came in second. So, you know, he's not, he, he's very, it's very noticeable when he's on the ice. Obviously, he's, he's a very, he's a player who does not stop working. Um, 
that being said, it's a little bit raw. You know, he's gonna he's gonna have to work on his skating, I believe, and and you know, obviously fill out a little bit because playing against players of his stature now in terms of physicality will change obviously when he gets into pro hockey. Yeah, and hard work again. That's another Craig Berube trait. Uh, he asks his players to uh, to to skate hard the entire shift. So good to hear that uh, Washkarak's already doing that in the OHL. Hopefully, Berube's still around when Washkarak uh, makes it up. But for, yeah, for the foreseeable enough. future, I think he will be. <laughs> well, the other thing um, with him is, is sorry, is he? Uh, you know, although the goal totals aren't there, but the nice thing with with Keen is he gets a lot of shots off, and you know, and that obviously helps generate offense, whether it be from rebounds or whatnot. And what it means is that he's obviously able to get himself into space. So I think in the forty nine games this year, I believe he had like two to three games, maybe where he didn't have a shot. And in those forty nine games, he had six games where he had over six shots in the game. So. He's a player that, that knows how to get himself into space and get shots off. And so, you know, maybe his shooting percentage can increase a bit over the next couple of years as well. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's something that we always hear with NHL players. You need shooters on the on the roster because you have too many guys that love to pass, like the Doug Waits of the league. Um, you know, you need guys that will yeah. actually finish it. So it's good to hear that he is one of those guys. Pass the Oilers. Yeah, right. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Um, well, uh, Marcus, this was awesome. Thank you very much for coming on. Um, I want to give you time here to, uh, make sure people know how to find you. If they want to learn more about prospects, uh, OHL network, where they can find that and where they can find you on social media. Yeah, you can find me on social media at boot hockey, which is B O U T H O C K E Y. And myself and the rest of the OHL network is, uh, can be found at OHLnetwork.ca and as well, our podcast at OHL unfiltered. Uh, it's usually out every every week, and yeah, we just cover the OHL, and obviously right now we're just doing the same as you and trying to keep some information going. And then when the season's on, we have many things like uh, player or sorry game reviews and player profiles, and and uh, we do interviews with players and coaches, and we have about uh, eleven writers right now throughout the league. So we're doing a pretty good job covering it, and we hope to increase in the future. And and uh, yeah, it's looking kind of exciting for us, and we're going into our second year next year. And yeah, I was going to. Before I leave, I should mention if uh, people are interested in Washtruck's, uh, you know, pugilistic skills, have a look on YouTube and check his fight out with Ty Delandria of Flint Firebird last year. Delandria is a Dallas Stars first rounder, but have a look at that fight, and and that will show you all you need to know about the player who, who will uh, not necessarily bite off more he can chew; he'll just bite off whatever he can chew. And uh, follow me on social media, everybody, because I will be sure to uh, post the link to that uh, as well for when, when this episode airs. So uh, that'll come out with it. But, yeah, that's uh, that's good to know. I Who doesn't love a, a good hockey fight video right now? I'll tell you, it was one of the best ones, if not the best, of, of the 2018-19 OHL season, for sure. Wow. Wow, very cool. Uh, Marcus, thanks a lot. And, again, uh, ohlnetwork.ca is the website, and it's a great spot to learn more about prospects. So uh, keep up the good work over there, and thank you very much for joining the show. Yeah, you bet, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Well, big thanks goes out to Carlo and Marcus for joining the show. Uh, I do will add that we have a couple more pretty cool interviews coming up. I can tell you that uh, Lubos Bartechko will be our next Past to the Future guest. Uh, Grant Fjord was also on recently. He's made his rounds of blues podcasts and uh, stopped by ours, and and Kurt was able to actually join me for that one. So those will be coming up. Uh, So, again, I would tell you that our next show will be Lubos Partechko and Greg Boyson of the Hockey Writers, who joined me last special edition episode. 
because uh, we talk more about some San Antonio Rampage players from this season. But uh, I don't know. Again, we'll see. We might have a live show next week. Depends on any news that might be coming out. But uh, right now, that is the plan. We will have Lubos Bartechko and Greg Boyson on our next show. Uh, Let's Go Blues.com shop is your place for all Let's Go Blues shirts and stickers. Uh, also, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also listen over at letsgoblues.com slash radio. And if you are on Apple Podcasts, leave us that five-star rating. Give us a positive review if you can. Uh, we need to grow, right? I mean, that's what podcasts do. We grow by uh, people finding those reviews and finding those ratings. So um, we've had a tremendous outpouring of people reviewing and i want to thank everybody who's done that um we are finding ourselves on top of uh, top podcast lists for hockey uh, all over the place and, and it's because of you so i really appreciate that everybody please keep that going if you can if you have not already well that will conclude this episode again thanks to carlo thanks to marcus and on behalf of bill day and kurt price i'm jeff ponder and let's go Blues. Uh, the Chiefs are at home tonight against Cyanusport at the War Memorial at 8. Good seats are still available. A look at sports. I think that went very well. Thank you for listening to Let's Go Blues Radio. Now take off, hosers. Well, there's 90 minutes of your life you'll never get back. Sorry. <laughs> St. Louis Blues. St. Louis Blues. Have you heard the news about our St. Louis Blues? They've only just begun, they're on their way to number one. Now there's no more blues for our St. Louis Blues. The Blues are on the ice tonight again. They're rough and tough and got the stuff to win. They'll always get one more, no matter what the score. They are quite a hockey team, my friends.